Great, great, great job this morning. Good morning, everybody. I hope that you are ready to hear from the Lord and and to be encouraged by Him and to uh, join in on what He has called us to and be excited about that. I, too, want to welcome back our Romanian team. The reports I had were just absolutely incredible. The thing that excites me more than anything else is what the Lord did in the hearts and the lives of those who went. That's the way God is, and it's so very, very important that we remember that when we talk about what God calls us to as a church family. The reality is, is that when we give and when we serve and when we sacrifice and when we share our faith and when we worship and when we, when we are, are, are God's hands and feet, the blessing is always on our life. There is an experience spiritually that you can have no other way. And I want to tell you, that is an essential, an essential element of spiritual growth and maturity. You can study all you want. Study, 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 and not grow spiritually. But you can't serve other people. You can't share your faith. You can't sacrifice involving yourself in other people's lives and helping and serving them without growing spiritually. You can't do it when you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it, and it's an important part of what we must remember This morning, we are going to talk about where we feel like, where we know, where we have a great, great confidence that God is leading our church and how he wants to use us. I have little doubt uh, that there are those in the auditorium this morning who are visiting with us. I want to tell you how very, very pleased I am that you're here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here at Avalon Church on this day. If you're from this community and you're visiting with us and you're prayerfully considering where God would have you and your family worship, this is a great day for you to be at Avalon Church. If you're here this morning, you're visiting with us and you're just curious about what's what this relationship with God is all about. You're curious about what happens inside this building. You're curious about whether or not there's even a God. I am so very, very glad that you are here this morning. And I would tell you in a very, very brief way how much God loves you and how much, how desperately he desires to have a relationship with you, that he would pay the highest cost in order for you and him to be restored into a relationship that is very real and very interactive and very intimate, that he would give his own life for that. And I'm praying for you this morning as we meet together that you might see Jesus, that you might sense his drawing in your life and that you might respond to his calling on your life. There is nothing in the world I would rather talk with you about than that. And so I hope that you'll come and tap me on the shoulder and tell me that that would be your experience today. I want to tell our church family with 
every fiber of being in my body, I know that the best days for this church are ahead. As long as our church walks in faith, as long as our church has a total dependence on God, as long as our church follows his leading and guiding and direction, the best days of this church are ahead of us, and I'm excited about that. In our series on the heart of the matter, we are still talking about transformation. We are still talking about spiritual growth. We're still talking about the way that God wants to do a work in our lives, to change us, to mold us into his image, to be like him and to grow us spiritually and to grow us in our hunger and our thirst for him, to serve him and to know him better. That is still what this is about when we talk about vision and when we talk about the direction of our church. It's important that we understand the very foundation of vision for our church. Many of you who are familiar with the Bible, maybe you've been in church for a long time and know that I was going to speak on vision, might have already assumed or presumed that I would use a verse out of Proverbs, the 29th chapter and the 18th verse, where the King James Version says, without vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's a familiar verse, and maybe you've heard it many, many times before. But I want to read you that verse from the uh, um, English Standard Version, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, is a better translation from the Hebrew than what the King James is. The King James translation is correct. It's just confusing the understanding of the true meaning of this verse. This is a better translation where there is no prophetic vision. The people cast off restraint. I wrote down some of the way the other translations write it. Where there is no revelation, the NIV says, the people cast off restraint. The, the NLT, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Here's another. Without guidance from God's law and order, I'm sorry, without guidance from God, law and order disappear. The New King James says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Another says, without revelation, people run wild. Another says, where, where there is no redemptive revelation from God, people perish. It's important to understand that this is not talking about some man-made vision, some creative group that gets together and tries to figure out what's the best thing for our church to do. It's important to understand, and this is our foundation, what does God want us to do? God has no intent to keep his direction for this church a secret. He wants to give us clarity in what he has called us to. And how does he do that? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 1, in the first two verses, 
that long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, God spoke to his people, God spoke to us by the prophets, which is what is meant by prophetic vision, vision from God delivered to the people by the prophets. Hebrews 1 says that in those times, that's how God spoke to us, through the prophets. But in these last days, in these days, in our experience, he has spoken to us by his son Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He speaks today to us through his son. He speaks most clearly through his son Through the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus speaks to us through His Word. This is our foundation. We must always be a Bible church. It doesn't matter whether or not we like what the Bible says, the Bible is our guide. The Bible sets our boundaries. The Bible gives us direction. The Bible is our interaction with Jesus. You sit down with the Word, you read the Word, you meditate on the Word, and you are sitting in the very presence of Jesus, and through His Word, He is speaking to you, He is comforting you, He's ministering to you, He's guiding you, He's directing you. That happens on an individual basis, and it happens on a corporate basis as well. When we as a church say, Lord, what do you want us to do? That direction, that guidance comes from his word, and that must always be so here at Avalon Church. And his word is clear. What he calls us to is clear. In Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20, verses that are very familiar to you, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And, and, and he says to them that I can't read that. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All nations, go into the world, make disciples, teach them. His last words to us, very, very important. This is his commission. This is his vision. This is his guidance. This is his direction for us. He's telling us what we are to do as a church family. Go to all of the nations. Go to the end of the world. Go to every nation, to every people group, and make disciples Teach them about God's love. Bring them into relationship with God. Teach them about the cross. Teach them about the blood. Teach them about restoration. Teach them about hope. Teach them about love and faith and grace and mercy. Teaching them all of the things that he has taught us. But he even expounds on that more in the first chapter of Acts. Verses 6 through 11, we, 
we, we need not look at just the eighth verse, which is a very familiar verse to you. Let's start in the sixth verse. When they had come together, this is just before Jesus' ascension, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What he's saying here is, listen, we win. There is an end. There's a plan. But don't worry so much about the end right now. What I want you to do right now is wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I want you to wait for him. And the verse goes on and says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. You will witness of me. What does a witness do? He sits on a stand and he tells his story. This is what I saw. This is where I was. This is what happened to me. This is how I was changed. That's what we're to do. That's the last words he said to us before he ascended into heaven. Is there any doubt that it's got to be a priority of this church and should be every church that we are constantly making disciples, teaching them what Jesus taught us, that, 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 we, are, that we are going into our community, into our, into our own world, but yet we're going out to the uttermost parts of the world And we're being witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're a witness just like that blind man was a witness in the New Testament when he was brought before the Pharisees and they asked him about his encounter with Jesus and who is this Jesus and what what do you think about him? And he was a witness when he said, I don't know anything except this. Once I was blind, now I can see. That's the way we're to be a witness. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for me in my life. And so so the marching orders are clear. So how do we take the marching orders that are so very, very clear in Scripture, what we must be about, what we cannot be passive about? We can't wait for people to walk in the door. We got to go. We got to share. We got to make disciples. We got to be a witness. So so how do we take that and and we mold it into what God would want us as a church to do specifically? I want to spend two minutes on our structure here in church leadership. It's, it's, It's biblical. Where we get it from is from the Bible. There are examples in the Bible of God meeting with his leader and sharing a vision, if you will, with his leader and instructing that leader to take it to leaders of the church and the leaders of the church having a a, a sense of unanimity in, in what God has given them, then they go out and they share it with the people. Here's what we're gonna do. Get ready to go. Joshua chapter five and six is a great example of this. Joshua meets with Jesus, a pre-incarnated Jesus. 
And Jesus says, look, here's the game plan. Here's exactly what I want you to do. So Joshua leaves Jesus and he goes to, to his generals, if you will, to his elders, if you will, to the leaders of the people, if you will. And he says, here's what God said. They, they are unanimous in their affirmation that this is God's plan for them. And then they go and they tell all of the people. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 15 when there was a dilemma in the church. The church was seeing a lot of Gentiles come to know Jesus as Savior. And the Jewish leaders of the Christian church we're having some, some discussions and some arguments and some headbutting about what should the expectation be of these new Gentile believers. And so they all got together, the leaders of the church, the, the, the apostles of the church, the elders of the church, the, the leadership. And you can see this in, in, in Acts chapter 15 and verses 7 through 13, Peter gets up and he gives this speech and he gives an overview of the situation and the problem and then there's some discussion. And then in, in verses 13 through 21, James, who was the brother of Jesus, who was the lead pastor of that Christian church in Jerusalem, offered a proposal, offered a solution. He said, here's what we ought to do. And then all of the leaders that were together made a unanimous decision that that's exactly what they were going to do. They believed it's what the Holy Spirit had revealed to them. That's what God wanted them to do. They made a unanimous decision. And the Bible says that, that Judas uh, or, 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 or Barsabbas and Silas delivered that decision in writing to the Gentile Christian churches. That's in verses 23 through 29. That's how they did it in the New Testament. It's how they did it in the Old Testament. And that's how we do it here. We are not a congregationally led church. I see that nowhere in Scripture. We are a pastor-led church, but foremost, we are an elder-run church. Elders in our church are a group of men that are godly men. They have demonstrated their relationship with the Lord. They are prayer warriors. They know how to pray. They know how to interact with God. They know the Word of God. And so as God gives me vision for our church, that vision is taken to these godly men where it is discussed and where some type of agreement, some type of, uh, of decision, unanimity is made in regard to what we feel like as a unit God wants us to do. And then we take it and share it with the people. And we say, this is what God wants us to do. Now, I want to tell you something. That hasn't happened here a lot lately. We've just been having church on Sunday. What have we done as a church family together? What have we, what have we done that required us to come together work together, depend on one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. Everybody use their unique giftedness in certain parts of the vision that God has given us and go out and accomplish something. That's my fault. I own that. That's my responsibility. That's my job. 
And I want to tell you, it's not because the Holy Spirit, it's not because God hasn't said to me, here's what I want you to do. He has. I just hadn't done it. I just hadn't brought it to you. And so what I share with you this morning is is not new to me. It might be new to you. But it's things that God has placed on my heart years ago. And it's time that we join together as a church family and accomplish the things that God has set before us. And I want to remind you again that as, as we set out to accomplish the mission, the vision that God has set before us, the thing that excites me more than anything else is the impact it's going to have on our lives because you can't serve him. You can't love other people. You can't be his witness. You can't make disciples. You can't sacrifice and not experience the reality of God's love and presence in your own life. You can't do those things and not grow spiritually. And I am more excited about what it will mean to us as a church family than I am and to those who we will be ministering to and reaching out to. I asked uh, Jonathan to put the picture of our elders up on the board because you need to know who these guys are. These are the guys that I meet with on a regular basis and I love them and they make me feel like they love me. We went bowling last Thursday night and uh, Rod Choi is standing there in the middle uh, with that really kind of ugly shirt uh, (laughs) holding the gift card that he won because he was the, the top bowler. But, but Joseph St. Saint Hilaire, Saint Hilaire and his wife Samara, Rodney Choi and, and his wife Christine, uh, Randy Hepner and his wife Sherry. You can barely see Ryan there in the back. We probably should have put him up in the front. And his wife Nettie and of course Rich Dunn and his wife Carmen are part of our leadership team here at Avalon Church and you have a great leadership team here at Avalon Church. They are godly men who seek the Lord and I am very, very grateful for them. These are the men who I share what I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart and what he would want us to do as a church family. Now let me share with you a vision, if, if I could. First, I want our church, I believe the Lord wants our church, I know the Lord wants our church to be a church that focuses on making disciples, being a witness to families. He wants us to be a family a church for families that reaches out to families, that ministers to families, that shares the gospel with families, that brings hope to families. Now, I want us to, to start thinking in, the, in terms of families instead of terms of neighbors, in, instead of terms of the community instead of terms of my coworkers or my friends, we'll, we'll think about them as, as families that we want to reach, that we want to make disciples, that we want to be witnesses to. One of the things that is, I think, uh, uh, 
uh, important in how God has positioned this church, where he has placed this church. I think it's important and it's crystal, crystal clear to me that we accept this idea that the most effective way that we can reach families is reaching children. Reaching their children. It's the, it's the demographic of this community. And so while families is our focus, our strategy for reaching families is to reach out to children. Why? Why children? Well, first, because Jesus loves the little children. Right? Second, our demographic demands that we have extraordinary ministry and great sacrifice in order to reach children. I want to show you some numbers, if I could. The school population numbers, Jonathan. These are real numbers. They're the latest numbers. I put the source so you could look it up yourself. This is the population of Avalon Elementary School, 937 students. They're right next door. Stone Lakes Elementary, what would you say? Quarter of a mile? Half a mile? Half a mile? Quarter of a mile? 870 students. Timber Lakes Elementary is the elementary school that's across the street from Timber Creek High School, 897 students. Camelot and Castle Creek are the two schools that are down Avalon Park Boulevard near the corner of Water Chase, Waterford Chase Boulevard. They have 1,615 and 1,814 students. I went ahead and did the math for you. That's 4,133 students that live within five minutes of this church. And that's just the public schools. That's 4,133 students. If you want to include 32828, we'll throw in Waterford Elementary, which has another 700 students, and Sunrise Elementary, which has another 484 students for a total of 5,316 students. Now, look, a demographic survey that was done in this community about seven years ago tells us this, and I don't know if you're able to read that or not. It tells us in that top statistic there that 65% of the people in 32828 are unchurched. 65%. Only 35% are actively involved in their church. And if you applied that number to the 5,000 children you would see that we have over 3,000 children that live within 10 minutes of this church who are unchurched. I can stand at my office window in any given morning, Monday through Friday, and watch those 990 children get out of their cars and walk into Avalon Elementary School, and I stand there sometimes with tears rolling down my eyes, thinking to myself, how many of those children have ever heard the name of Jesus? Is Jesus mentioned in their home? Do they know about the hope that Jesus gives, the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the relationship that he offers? And it is a great, great burden to me. 
So there's, there's four reasons why we, we, we can reach families through children. Number one, Jesus loves the little children. Number two, the demographic demands it. Number three, we happen to live in a community, and this isn't that normal. We happen to live in a community where moms and dads, where parents are really, really involved in their children's lives. I mean, they go to PTA meetings. Who does that? Well, the parents in this community do because when they have one over there, their parking lot's overflowing, our parking lot's overflowing, and the parking lot across the street is overflowing. And they go to all of the football practices and they go to all the dance recitals and they get, they're involved in their children's lives. They want to know what's happening in their children's lives. And so I'm telling you that if we can reach their children, we got a great, great shot at reaching their moms and dads. Here's a fourth reason. Because nobody else is doing this. A fourth reason is because while there are great churches in this area, many of them I would recommend to you, great churches in this area, they all have good children's ministries, but that's not their focus. If we make that a focus in our church, it differentiates us from them. Differentiation is not a competitive thing. Differentiation means that we are doing some things that they're not doing so we can reach some people that they can't reach. That's what it means. They're reaching some people we can't reach. But we can have this, this is, God, this is where you want us to focus. This is where you want us to put our effort. This is where you want to put our resources, our prayer. We want to really, really invest in this area. Nobody else is doing it. It means that we can reach some people that, that other churches can't reach. Listen, here's what I'm saying. We must have, and I'm going to be conservative, we must have one of the best children's ministries in all of Orlando right here, and we can do that, and we will do that. And we're not going to stop getting better until we are the best, and we're known for it. You got children, you need to send them to Avalon Church. That's going to happen by creating an incredible experience for our children in our church on Sunday morning. But it's not just our children. We have to have a heart for those numbers that I just showed you. The over 3,500 children that live 10 minutes from here that are unchurched. How do we reach them? We begin to train our children how to invite them to come. We begin to train ourselves how to invite them to come. We create programs for them that are after-school kind of programs, whether it's a theater type of situation or a tutoring type of situation or a recreational type of situation or, or, or whatever that case may be, I, I don't know. But we have got to engage these kids. We've got to, to interact with them. We've got to find ways to interact with them 
so that we can make disciples, so that we can be witnesses, so that we can invest in their lives, so that we can share with them. We, if we're going to be the best, we got to have more facility. And so we are feverishly, seriously looking into the feasibility of putting a building back here behind this building. And though it would be a multi-purpose building, it's driven by our desire to reach children for Christ so that we can reach their mom and dads, so that we can reach their families. And, and what we could do, you know, we are talking with candidates for our children's director, children's minister, and I'm telling them about these grandiose visions, and then I'm saying, now you need to understand you got four classrooms, that's it, that's all you got. Or you can convert those to two big classrooms if you want, and that's it, that's all you got. And so we're looking into moving forward with that. You'll hear a lot more about that as we learn about the possibility, the feasibility. But I think that it's a very, very important ingredient in our strategy for winning our community through Christ, through focusing on families and reaching families by reaching their children. That's our children's ministry. I, I, I want to show you a, another a page of the demographic survey, if I could. In this demographic survey, this might surprise you. This is a survey done of 32828, that's all, 32828. And they asked people this question, uh, what, it, what, what is the program that you want most out of your local church? And here's what the majority said. We want recreational programs. Above uh, spiritual development, um, above uh, traditional programs, what they wanted was recreation. It's the next to the last item right there above spiritual development personal development community social services what they wanted was recreation <laughs> well, well you know what if that's how we can reach them then that's how we ought to reach them if that's what they want then that's what we ought to do if, if, if that's what it takes and I think when I say that this building that we so desperately need and want to have can, can aid us in having recreational programs for moms and dads uh, during the week and in the evenings. And so pray about that with me as we research and, and, and ponder and pray about whether or not that's something that we can do together as a church family. 
Look, there, I, I won't spend time this morning talking about teens and singles and seniors and, and the ministries of our church and how we want to make disciples there and be witnesses there and grow there. I can tell you that leadership plays such an important role in that. When we have someone, when God raises up someone who says, I want to lead a singles ministry, we'll get behind that. I think we need a singles ministry. We have a lot of singles in our church. And I think the same thing with our seniors ministry. When God raises up a leader and they say, I want to invest in this. I want to be a part of this. I want to talk to you about Mexico. Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria, and all of those places are in kind of the same vicinity. And there are different cultures within that vicinity. There are different experiences within that vicinity, but they're all in the same vicinity. And Jesus goes on and says, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to all of the world, go and be my witnesses. We can't go to all of the world, but we can do our part. And after a year of, of investigating opportunities around the world, we looked at Haiti, we looked at Uganda, we looked at Colombia, and we looked at Mexico, and it was an overwhelming, unanimous um, decision that we can have incredible ministry in Mexico. Y'all know that I just returned from a trip uh, to Mexico, and I came back so very, very excited. I want to show you a video. It's just a one-minute video um, of uh, 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 when I was in Mexico and, and what I saw there. Jonathan, if you could show that for us. This is the community of Palomino. It's in Aguascalientes, Mexico. It's a community of about 50,000 people in a two-mile radius. I've spent some time with the families. I've spent some time with the children. This is a tough place to grow up. But I was shocked to learn there's no church here at all. If there's no church here, who's going to tell them about Jesus? I believe God has brought us here on purpose. No accidents with God. He has given us an opportunity. I believe we can plant a church here very quickly. I'm asking you to pray about what God would have you to do to be a part of this incredible opportunity he's given us. Palomino, they need Jesus too. Aquas Calentis is, a, is, a, is, is known as a state in the country of Mexico. It has a population of about 1.2 million people. Uh, this, the community of Palomino is a is you can think of it as a suburb of Aquas Calientes, uh, much like you would think of Avalon Park being a suburb or community of Orlando. In Palomino, in a two-mile uh, radius, there are fifty thousand people. And folks, listen, I'm telling you the truth when I tell you they don't have a church there. They don't have a church there. I think I'm not well-traveled, but I don't believe I've ever been to a place of a community that size that did not have some kind of church. When you go to Mexico, you think, wow, there's probably really, really heavy Catholic. There was no Catholic church there. 
There's no church there. And so I think of those 50,000 people and I think to myself, this is the devil's playground. Because the devil has no opposition here whatsoever. None. And I think to myself, you know, it's, this isn't a, 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 a horribly high poverty community. It's uh, people live in homes there. But there's not a, a high uh, um, homeless rate there. Now, the average size home in Palomino is about 350 square feet. Your two-car garage is about 500 square feet. And the average number of people living in 350, 350 square feet is, is about seven people. Sometimes there's 12 and sometimes there's four. And they, they work hard. They have a public school system. They send their kids to school. The, uh, the teenage pregnancy rate there is skyrocketed. It's an epidemic there. Suicide is an epidemic there. They, they take a day out of the year and they celebrate the Day of the Dead. They have a parade and they, they celebrate death and they dress up in their skeletons and they paint their faces and, 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 and that's, that's kind of the, the, um, the religion, if you will. It's, it's kind of the spiritual aspect of their lives. They celebrate death. And there's, there's no hope there. It's a very, very hard place to, to grow up. And there's no church there. There's nobody there to tell them about Jesus. And God has, has shown us this community. And it's so very, very clear to me. He says to me, go in there and make a difference. Go in there and make disciples. Go in there and be my witness. Go in there and offer hope to these people. And we're going to do that. I'm not talking about another mission trip. I'm talking about this church adopting Palomino. I'm talking about us taking on the responsibility that if those people don't hear about Jesus, it's our fault. It's our fault. And if the kids there don't have food to eat, it's our fault. And if, and if, and if they don't have hope, if they don't hear the story of hope, it's our fault of taking on this two-mile radius of 50,000 people. And the vision that I have is that can be a Christian community. That can be a Christian community. And I think about this church, and we got to all be a part of it. we got to all do this together, and everybody's going to have different roles and how we're going to reach these people for Christ. And I begin to think about what it's going to mean for us, the spiritual growth that we can experience because we are investing in this people group and seeing people get saved and experiencing the reality of God and his power and how he uses us and how he works through us. We're almost out of time. We really are out of time. But let me run through these four phases with you 
if I could. The first thing that we're going to do is that we are going to partner with an organization called Children's Cup. It's a very similar organization, somewhat smaller than Compassion International, where they go into a community, they identify children, and they find sponsors for those children so those children can have an education in medical care and food. And we're going to partner with them and we're going to give people in our church an opportunity to sponsor one of the children, one of the the 8,000 children in Palomino. And and, and, um, let me show you a real quick video of of Children's Cups because you need to get to know them a little bit. When a person travels to the communities of the hardest places in the world and observes the daily struggles people experience, it is easy to quickly become overwhelmed by the needs. Looking into the faces of the children, you see that some of them have obviously begun to believe what their society says of them, that they are throwaways, worthless, with no hope. How can we give the truth to throwaway kids? the truth that they were born to be world changers. This is the mission that Children's Cup is dedicated to. Through our more than 23 years of serving children in Southern Africa and Latin America, we have found one unshakable truth. The only way to change a nation is to empower the children. And when we truly awaken children to the potential inside of them, we must focus on holistic development not only caring for their physical needs, but meeting their emotional needs and giving them hope in a relationship with Christ. We start by connecting with a local church in Africa or Latin America that has a heart to reach the children of their community. As the relationship grows, we equip the church to create a care point a community center that becomes a beacon of hope in a dark place. The process of building trust in a community begins by providing food and clean water. The local church gathers volunteers to cook hot meals with the fortified nutrients that these growing world changers need. Our team on the ground then implements our medical and educational programs geared towards the specific needs of each country and community. But if nothing more than their physical needs are met, we are only providing a piece of the puzzle. World changers deserve more, and we want to provide more for them. We want to see children growing up aware of the plans and purpose God has created them for. A very important part of what they're trying to teach you about Children's Cup strategy is they go into a community and they partner with the local church in that community. They provide some of the humanitarian needs in that community and the church provides human resource to help with that and the spiritual needs, meeting the spiritual needs of that community. The problem with that strategy in Palomino is there's no local church there. And I believe God's called us to that. And so the first thing that we're going to do, the first phase of this strategy, is we're going to sponsor some children in Palomino. And we're going to start that. We're going to launch that on Easter Sunday. 
Now, you might think to yourself, why in the world would you do such a thing on Easter Sunday? Let me tell you exactly why we decided to do it that way. Because on Easter Sunday, there's going to be three or 400, maybe 500 people worshiping with us here in this room who are unchurched people from this community, but they are good people with big old hearts that don't that hate the thought of children going hungry, and I would rather have them sponsor these children than you, though I'm going to ask you to do the same thing too. Because if we can get them to sponsor these children, then we got their name and we got their address, and we can begin pouring into their lives, and once a quarter we can have a celebration service in our auditorium where we talk about what God's doing in Palomino, Mexico, and we can invite them to come, and every time they come, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and every time they come, we're going to begin developing relationships with them. Why? because we want to be about reaching families. So that's why we're going to do that on Easter, and then you'll be hearing more about that. Phase two is a trip October 10th through the 16th. We're calling it Hope Rising. The Hope Rises, the initiative in Mexico is going to be called Hope Rises. The trip in October is going to be an evangelistic trip. We're still working on the details. What's the best way to do that? Had an incredible time with Jerry Sharpless over lunch talking about some of the challenges uh, there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with, with, with Dennis Sink and talk about house churches and how to start house churches. I'm going to meet with... Uh, Jerry's going to introduce me to Steve and Terry Morgan, who are the Mexico directors for Crew in strategies and, and the uniqueness of Mexico and how do you reach Mexican people. There are all kind of different ideas. I'm telling you right now that if we wanted to, we could go in there. There's this large soccer field. It's about two acres. We could put a big tent on it on that soccer field. We can about invite two or three thousand people to come. We can find a dynamic speaker, and we could see three or four hundred people get saved that night. There's no question in my mind about that, but is that the best way to do it? I'm not sure. Maybe going door to door is the best way to do it. Maybe setting up little places around this, the uh, community and showing the Jesus film is the best way to do it. But I know this, we can't see people get saved there and then leave. And so the third phase has to do with discipleship, and discipleship's going to have to do with partnering with other organizations. There is a church that's about 45 minutes from Palomino, and it's a strong church. And I don't know if they would be open to helping us disciple new converts in Palomino, but if they're not, we've got to find somebody who will because we don't have anybody there right now. Maybe one day God will call you to go there, you know, live there. But I, I'm telling you, um, the, w we want to start with sponsorships. We want to go to our evangelism trip in October, and we want to uh, begin to disciple these people. And then we want to help them plant a, a church. And if that means helping them build a building, then we'll help them build a building. Whatever it takes, we, we want to see a thriving, growing, evangelical church in the middle of that city that is going to 
be used by God to transform that entire community into a Christian community. And when we get that church up and running, when we get that church self-sustaining, we can wipe our hands of Palomino and go find another area and do it again. But right now, this is where God wants us. Okay? How do you feel about that? Y'all, this isn't a passing thought. This is what we are going to be about in the weeks, the months, and the years ahead. We are going to work on this, one of those nose soldiers to the grindstone, until God releases us from this. I'm going to tell you this one more time, and then we're done. God told me both of these things. Not, not specifically Mexico, but missions. God told me both of these things years ago. And I didn't do it. And he has dealt with me harshly about that. This is, this is what he is calling us to. And this is what we are going to be about in the days ahead. And I believe our greatest days are ahead and I believe that you're going to see an incredible growth in our hunger for God and in our spiritual maturity through our efforts in these two areas. I'll tell you real quick, our search for a children's director is going real well. It's going slower than I want it to go. We've narrowed it down to three candidates. One's from Mississippi, one's from Pennsylvania, and one's from right here in Orlando. We're going to be interviewing those in the next three or four, two or three weeks, and as uh, soon as we can get them here and spend some time with them, hopefully make a decision and get, and get that position filled, that's very important. I covet your prayers in regard to that. All right? I feel like I should ask if there's any questions, but we don't have time to do that. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about this. I care about what you think. And um, let me pray, and uh, then I'll ask Arthur to dismiss us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you don't sit up there on your throne and not involve yourselves in our lives. Thank you that you give us clarity in what you call us to. Thank you that in your providence and your sovereignty, you open doors. And yes, Lord, you close doors. Thank you that you have given us clarity in what you would have us to do as a church. Thank you, Lord, that your, your plan is that you bless people so that they will be a blessing. And Lord, help us to be faithful to that calling. Use us, Lord, to change the world for your glory. This is about you. And we praise you and thank you in advance for we walk by faith. And we pray this in your name, amen.